This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this week I wanted to share something a little bit different. Recently, I spoke with my friend Andrew on the Learning Culture Podcast, and we talked about all things community. If you've listened to the show for a while, you know that community is really important to me and also an area where I have a lot of experience, having sold a community in the past and then also leading the community team for Pat Flynn and SPI last year. This conversation gets super tactical and specific about building community and some of the pitfalls to avoid. If you're interested in community building, I think you're really going to like it. And if you are interested in community building, I also wanted to let you know that last week I released a brand new course called Build a Beloved Membership. This course covers everything I know about building a paid membership community that people love and keep coming back to. It really breaks down a lot of what I've learned in the past and also with my current membership, The Lab. You can learn more and enroll at belovedmembership.com and a link to that is in the show notes. Members of The Lab get this course as part of their membership. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with other professional creators, consider joining The Lab at creatorscience.com slash lab. A link to that is in the show notes as well. And finally, if you enjoy this episode, check out Andrew's work at CuriousLionLearning.com. You guessed it, that link is also in the show notes. We'll get to that full episode right after this. In my experience, the best communities almost have like a heartbeat, that if you're truly involved and engaged in, in this thing being successful, you can just feel it. This is a huge investment of effort and time and like empathy on the part of you and your team. Typically when I see communities die, it's because somebody's lying to themselves about the level of care they actually have for this thing. I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning culture podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than was ever possible before. Learning Culture Podcast. Teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Barry. And joining me this week was Jay Klaus. Jay helps creators earn a living. I met Jay on Twitter, where the creator economy really took off uh, in about 2020 and throughout the pandemic. Jay has impressed me ever since I met him with his ability to build community and most importantly, to talk about community. 
Jay is the writer of Creator Science, a phenomenal newsletter for entrepreneurs in the creative space, and the host of Creative Elements, a narrative interview podcast exploring how today's top creators make a living with their art and creativity. He previously led the community experience team for Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income, which is a multi-million dollar online course and community. He designed their paid membership community and cohort-based programs, and has gone on to much success with his own versions of those since then. I first sat down with Jay early last year to talk about community building for a private community I was running at the time. This conversation, just over a year later, is a chance to revisit some of those ideas and to unpack the new insights that Jay has to share. And boy, were there many. I don't want to give away too much about this episode, but if you are thinking of building a community now. This could be a learning community. It could be a cohort-based program within your company. It could be a gathering of professionals that you're trying to bring together. Any of those things are potentially communities. And we start this episode by unpacking whether or not you should actually be building a community. With that as a jumping off point, you will learn about uncovering the job to be done for your community. Why making it peer-to-peer instead of one way is so, so critical. Why making the implicit explicit is going to help you define the rules of engagement for your community. How to increase the surface area of one-on-one connections at a human level with members. What to do with rock stars and lurkers in your community. How to create spaces for people and to set milestones for members. And finally, how to know when your community is coming to an end and what to do about it. I consider Jay one of the foremost experts on building community. I think this is an incredibly important topic and a growing one in the space of corporate learning, enablement, and education. And I think you're going to learn a lot from his experiences in the creator economy. So without further ado, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Jay Klaus. Jay, what's up? Welcome to the show. What up, Andrew? In the house. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm pumped. And it's funny because I don't I didn't get you on my previous podcast. How did you learn that? We did do stuff together in my time and on deck. We recorded some stuff for that community, around community. Um, so it is a, a real pleasure to kind of break this stuff down with you for, for this audience, right? People that are out there listening now are interested in building communities of professionals at their place of work. Um, it's a buzzword in, in the space. Um, so I'd love to start with kind of how you got started in community and, and mm-hmm. you, you focus on create working with creators and helping them build community and you've sort of, um, built your name around doing just that yourself for, for the communities that you've worked in and now run yourself. So how, how did it get started? When did you kind of see the potential for community? Well, it really got started in about 2012 when I began organizing startup weekend events here locally in Columbus, Ohio. Those were three-day events, uh, Friday through Sunday, where we'd bring in like 100 people. And over the course of three days, we would help people ideate companies, validate an idea, and then like pitch uh, a startup company at the end of the weekend. And on the back end of that, I just built my own community here locally to be pretty strong in the startup space. And then as an organizer, I was invited to do a lot of like the startup weekend organizer retreats that we did. And 
uh, as I became a facilitator, which is like one level above that, then I got to be more involved in that smaller community of people. So just from that, you know, I went from participant to organizer to facilitator, and there were like three concentric circles of levels of community in the startup in the startup weekend uh, ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that was awesome. Like that changed my life. That changed the people that I spent my time around. It changed what I was interested in doing with my life. It changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. And then in 2017, when I went out on my own and started this journey of being self-employed, I started what was essentially a facilitated mastermind program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would work with groups of five and I'd work with two to three groups at a time. And we would meet once a week for an hour, you know, pretty standard mastermindy stuff. But on the back end of that, I wanted to be able to communicate between calls. So I just dropped everybody who went through the program into a Slack channel, let them stay there. And over like a three, three and a half year period, that Slack grew to be about 110 people. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, I mean, like all of this sounds like super standard now. But in right. 2017, like people weren't really using Slack for community stuff. Mm-hmm. I had to explain to people how to download and use Zoom because most people who came into the program hadn't used it before. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the start of it. And that got the attention of Matt Gartland, who is Pat Flynn's business partner. Mm-hmm. He experienced that community. And in 2020, during the pandemic, SPI, Smart Passive Income, accelerated yeah. their interest in starting a community of their own for their audience and asked me to come in and consult on helping build that and launch that. Mm. So I'm interested, like chicken and the egg, right? What, what comes first here? Like it, there was, in, in both those cases, you described, you know, both SPI and in your case, there was a there was a group of people, a community, and I'm using air quotes for anybody listening on, on uh, the audio version. Um, and then you kind of formalize it. You've talked about Slack. So there's obviously a technology component as well. Uh, can you just talk through that, like chicken and the egg? Like what, what needs to happen first to be able to create a community? Well, there needs to be a shared interest or a shared purpose. And this is why a lot of communities fall flat is because people think I have an audience, there are community platforms, let me throw the two together and voila, we'll have a community. But they don't think about what the actual purpose or job to be done of that community is for the people who are in that community. And, you know, what usually happens then, people will... If they do, in fact, join, a lot of cases they won't even join because they're like, what is this thing for? But if they do join, usually on the strength of their relationship to the individual or the brand or the organization, they will close that loop with their own assumption of here's what I think I'm going to get out of this community. And now, depending on how many members join that space, you have untold dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of different expectations of what people are going to get out of it because you didn't set an expectation. And so now you're immediately set up for massive failure because you have no idea how to win with these people who are trying to join this thing. So you really have to have a purpose and understand what is the job to be done for these people that the model of a community actually solves that problem. Mm, I love that. So this this jives a lot with what we do as, as Curious Line and our consulting work is we call it a shared vision. So there, there has to be some in purpose. I think that's the, the key word there for me. Um, what we've learned, what we've learned is that that isn't something that's top down. It's not the community starting the community, you know, owner or manager deciding what that is, right? It's, it's, it comes from in your, you know, those 110 people, 
Um, so can you talk through like how you've seen, and, and if you agree, that, sh- that shared purpose evolves from individual purposes? Well, it can. I mean, ultimately, if, if there's going to be a community, to me, a community is peer-to-peer. That's like why you build a community in the first place is you want to build connections between members within that network. If you're just trying to be top down and share gated resources and things with uh, a select group of people who have paid for it, that doesn't need to be a community at all. That can just be a membership and, you know, it could be a a paid newsletter. It could be any number Mm. of things that don't revolve, involve peer to peer. So Mm. if it is going to be peer to peer, there's a reason that people should want to connect with each other. And so, yes, I agree that that purpose needs to be rooted in the needs of the people that you're pulling into Mm. this space. But ultimately, you have to have your finger on that pulse and say, this this is what I'm seeing. This is what we're going to do here. And then, of course, be open to iterations and things like that. But you need to use that purpose as a filter on the front end to make sure that the space self-selects accurately for the people who want the thing that that space is providing. Yeah, I, I love that. It's um, making the implicit explicit. Right? Yes. You, that's yes. the role of that community member. Yeah, sort of naming the thing that you're seeing happen organically so that others can go, oh, yes, that's what we're doing. Yes. And also, what, I had a call in, in our community, the lab, yesterday. We do these things called hot seats, which is basically a 30-minute one-on-one coaching session that I'll do with a member that other members can basically join and watch, and then it's recorded and shared as an asset for the rest of the community. We had a conversation yesterday. Uh, a member has their own community, and it's kind of quiet. And he's saying, how do we get this thing to be active again? And what I identified as a problem was he didn't, ahead of time, define a purpose. So we have this question of, like, why are people joining? What are they expecting? Mm-hmm. We don't know. So in relaunching it, it's the same process as launching it. You define that purpose of here's, here's what we're here to do. Then you also need to explicitly share with people how they engage with the thing to get that outcome. Mm -hmm. Like here is how you engage with this pre-setting of expectations. Then once they join, you want to reinforce those expectations again of here's what you're going to get. Here's how you engage with it. And then you need to get them into that experience engaging for the first time and have that be a gratifying experience for them. So it's, Mm. it's alignment. It's, uh, uh, reinforcement that yes, your assumptions are correct. And yes, you did it correctly. And yes, because you did it correctly, you got out of it what you expected to. And then you just rinse and repeat that type of process for people. Yeah, over and over. Yeah. Um, so I I, I want to go back through this because I think there's a there's a framework developing here that you um, clearly have, um, and I want to paint that picture for for the folks watching and listening. So I'm gonna go back to the job to be done. I think that's an interesting point that there is a, a, a purpose, a use, a need that's being fulfilled here. And relating to the, uh, the, the peer-to-peer piece, that fulfillment of that job to be done is not by the community manager or community creator. It is by each other. It's peer-to-peer. Um, and I think that's such a key point. And, and I, so you know, when you say it can just be a subscription, that's when like, oh, I have this, this knowledge that I want to share to people. It's one way mm-hmm. transaction mm-hmm. that that's not a community. That is this, there are other ways to, to monetize that. Um, so I think that's already a, a huge um, unlock. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. 
Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot creator. Can you talk through your first experience in that startup community and then also with, with Pat Flynn's and then even now in your, in your current iteration, what, can you give some flavor, some examples of what those jobs to be done were? Yeah, well, in the first community that I started, well, okay, a few things. Startup weekend community, that job to be done, uh, on the surface, people thought the job to be done was, hey, learn how to build and start a startup company. And that was kind of true. Really what we were teaching through that process, though, was how to validate ideas, how to like find your first customers. So there were a lot of, like in product management, we would call this, um, uh, oh, what's, what's it? It's, it's like explicit value and discoverable value, basically, mm-hmm. where on the, mm-hmm. on the surface you say, here is, here is what you're going to get. And that's true. And that's what gets people to sign up. But you know what actually people get the most out of is the discoverable thing that's hard to market. In, in, yeah. In my, yeah, in my first community, Unreal Collective, that promise was a typical mastermind promise, which was like, you come in, you're at point A, we're getting you to point B with your project. Uh, we define that off the bat. So really, it was like, did you achieve point B through that process? Um, current community that I'm doing now, um, the lab, it's, it's a very similar model of point A to point B. 
what I saw with that was I'm, I'm swimming in this pretty red ocean of people trying to help creators. And what I realized was there's just no way that I can teach you in a pre-recorded course or even a single cohort based course, how to go from I'm making stuff, but I'm not earning a living to earning a living. Like mm-hmm. the landscape changes, the tools change, the tactics change, not to mention it just takes a really long time to do all the mini mm-hmm. projects along the way to get there. So to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to have this space that changes with you. Like that's why the model is community because the land, all these things I just said, all these things change and I'm not going to get you to A to B in like a 12 module course or whatever because of all those yeah. changes. So community as a model made sense to help people get to that, that finish line. Um, yeah. Some examples. Yeah, that, I love that point about the space changing with the members. So when you know that you, you don't have a, um, you, you couldn't possibly make it a predefined linear path for people, um, that, that community makes sense. So um, I want to just dig a little bit more into this jobs to be done piece because it seems like from what you're saying, in, in all of your cases, there was something that was evident, like superficially evident about what that job to be done was, but then there was something more deep. There was something deeper that sort of evolved out of it. And um, I wonder if you could sort of tug on that a bit, expand there. Like what, what have you learned about that evolution? Most people implicitly understand that the value in a community is learning from other people. So it's become like almost a joke to to say that, hey, in our community, you surround yourself with and, and learn and connect with like-minded individuals. Yeah, of course you do. But that's not yeah. that's no longer explicit value to me. To me, that is like the discoverable thing that people stick around for and tell people about. But like that's not enough as a marketing promise anymore because it doesn't set the right expectations. And it puts all of the onus on the individual to not only do they have to decide to join this space, but now they have to do a lot of the work of connecting with people for the most part. So I like to encourage community builders to basically have some more specific, predefined, explicit value that you can really control that experience for people. And then if they mm-hmm. you know connect with like-minded individuals and learn a lot along the way, that's great. They will. But um, I really want people to hang their hat on some other aspect of membership that they can control that experience, set the expectation, optimize for getting people to engage in that way in the first place, show that to be mm-hmm. a, a good experience. Um, yeah, because honestly, like, I think a lot of communities are going to just implode over the next year, two years, you know, three mm-hmm. years max, because we just, we've got too many of them now. And most of them are really bad because they just do this like very lazy. Here's the platform. You like me, you like our company, join this thing. People have a bad experience. We can only meaningfully engage in so many communities anyway. So people are going to scale back to one or two communities they really value the most. And those communities are going to be the ones that provide real explicit, you know, transformation or value. Yeah. Well, there's that word transformation. So I'm definitely going to come back to that. Um, uh, so yeah, so I, I think this idea of um, that that explicit value that's not not the discoverable value that the the reason people are together. I I'm wondering if you could, you know, that there, there are, I'm sure you've seen so many so many of these, and and I wonder if you could kind of categorize what what are those deep down needs 
that that could be solved, right? Like, you know, there's like often like you know, I think you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Like, so just I want to give people like a few things to hang their hat on to say like, oh, my community might solve that need. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's three of them, I would say. One is transformation, which we talked about. Like I'm at point A, I want to go to point B. Um, yeah. another is identity. People just don't know that much about themselves. Like we're, we're in a world where we consume so much information all the time that it's like, I am told what to think so often that like, I'm not even making most of my own decisions anymore. <laughs> You know, and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when people engage with something in such a way that it actually makes them feel like they learn something about themselves, that is super, super, super powerful. Um, yeah. You know, you see this, you saw this with on deck, you see it with ship 30. When somebody goes through an experience and it is so impactful for them, they um, they start to identify themselves with it. You know, like I was yeah. on deck fellowship this because it was just so important to yep. them that um now that's become part of their identity. And I'm, I'm blanking yeah. on the third one that I usually talk about. So I'm like low key trying to pull up. Yeah. While you're sneakily doing that, I just want to, I want to draw a sort of a connection between the, those two as well. Cause that identity, uh, crystallizing of identity and the transformation, both are rooted in a journey of self-discovery and self-awareness, which I think is one of the most powerful things I've seen of community that, uh, <clears throat> helps people kind of unlock and uncover blind spots about themselves that are only possible, that is only possible to do through the reflections of others. You know, that's kind of one of the, the, the best parts about this is your community members hold up a mirror yeah. to you and help you see things. And it's it's therapy, really, right? Like at the end of the day, it's therapy at scale. Um, if you get into that community that you feel safe and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and those things we'll talk about in a second. I'm still, we're still kind of in that like, pre-community should you even have a community yeah and the third one which is so obvious that i didn't even think i was as part of this framework it was just human connection because we we are we are mm. social beings and we crave that but to me no longer is that like enough to me that's just table stakes like if you're going to have a community yeah. that needs to be a part of it but we have a lot of options now for human connection online which is still not as good as human connection in person so you, yeah. you, that's table stakes to me. What you really want to focus on, in my opinion, is transformation in some way. Um, yeah. And that's going to look different for every community and what your people need, what point A they're at, and what point B they're trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, I, I would even, I'd actually throw it back at you that it is table stakes, I agree, in the world that you and I have met in, in the sort of creative space. I think in, in in some sort of more corporate settings, more professional settings, it is not yet um, recognized mm-hmm. as as such a big deal, human connection. And I think once only once people experience it do they go, Oh shit, that was that was amazing. I need more of this in my life. I can believe that. I, I did uh, Seth Godin's Alt MBA in twenty seventeen and I'm actually I wasn't that into it. I didn't think it was that impressive or great. Um, but I don't think I was a fit for it because what I think Alt MBA did for a lot of people was give them this connection with people who are also like hard chargers, a players and not surrounded by those type of people. I wasn't lacking that. So to me, like that wasn't enough for me to care about this. Like, uh, yeah, but I did see that most of the people that took Alt MBA were in corporate settings and were like, wow, I didn't know there were people like me out there. And I was like, of of course Mm. there are. (laughs) But like that's that's mm, new yeah, to people, yeah, and it, yeah. it's not my world. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I think, and, and I think, um, yeah, I just think it, it, it points to a big opportunity for communities and community workers still to be uncovered. You know, I think there's, I think there's a long way to go in this space. Um, okay, so, so I think we've painted a good picture of kind of why you would want to have a community, how you might think about conceptualizing it. So, so let's talk about the formation of it. Um, one of the things. One of the things that stuck with me when we last spoke about this in that in that private community was this idea of increasing the surface area of one-on-one -on -one connections. Mm. It, it was something that you you mentioned like so critical at the very beginning of starting a community. So can you talk through that for for, for listeners? Yeah, you because I have this peer-to-peer -peer lens for community. I want to connect peers to peers as quickly as possible. Because to me, like what makes your community space sticky is when people are like that thing, that space is what I engage with to bridge my connection to other people. Um, it's actually, here's, here's a fascinating thing that we learned uh, at SPI last year. We, uh, part of the membership that we found to be really highly uh, engaging and valuable to people was creating mastermind groups within the community. It was, it was something I'd done before, so I said, let's just do this within the community here. And ostensibly, there's no reason, once people were in those mastermind groups, to stay in the community if they only wanted to engage with their group. Because they could they could just share numbers on a Zoom call, they could, they could leave, they could text each other, have a group chat outside of Circle, and just meet on their own. And nobody did that. Nobody, mm. nobody did. When, when there would be like a very rare situation where somebody would not renew their membership, they would ask their mastermind groups if they could keep meeting, and the mastermind group said no. <laughs> That's incredible to me. And what that means is those people understood that the value they were receiving was a byproduct of the space, and they appreciated and valued the space because of it. Even though yeah. at that point, in that way of engaging, it was not strictly necessary. So being the bridge between people is super, super important. And uh, to me, that looks like after somebody joins, how do you get them to have a human interaction with somebody else as quickly as possible? And it might be you, um, depending on the size of your community. Right. Like my membership, we have 150 members. I'm capping it at 200. Everyone who joins, I have a 30-minute one-on-one welcome call with personally. Mm -hmm. Because I know that's a huge investment in the culture and is a huge investment in that person's experience with the space. And then by having that conversation, I know more about them and I can connect them intelligently to other people in the community. Yeah. And of course, we have live events every week as well. Uh, some communities will do a kickoff call or even like a group orientation call. And that's all great, too. But you want to have some way to create a human connection with people as quickly as you can. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Even though that's 100 hours of your time, that is 100% worthwhile for you. Hey, it's your host, Andrew here. I wanted to take a second just to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you did a couple of things for us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It really allows us to grow the channel and reach a lot more people like you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and review. It's a great way to give us some feedback and to tell the world what you think about this podcast. So whether you listen to it on YouTube or you listen to it as a podcast, if you take one of those actions, it would mean the world to me and my team. Thank you. And with that, right back to the show. So I want to go back to this point that you make about the that SPI example. So I have 
heard and seen communities that stay together sort of during the thing, the event that brought them together, but then start to dissipate over time. And I've even heard that they, you know, start to kind of meet within their cliques separately. So what do you think was, what, let's like, what, I want to get a bit more detail, like what was SPI doing really well that made people want to stay there, meet there? I think it's two things. Uh, there was a lot of affinity with the brand, for one. Um, mm -hmm. We also, you know, there were a lot of programming and member benefits outside of those groups. So I think all told, people were like, this is all really good. Even though I'm mostly taking advantage of this member benefit over here, I do get some yeah. value out of this, this, and this. And, and so that's all worthwhile. The bigger issue I see for people who are in this camp is they set up, their, their community is, is predicated on some really intense time-bound experience. It could be a cohort-based course, could be group coaching, could be yeah. something where it's like, hey, for the next X number of weeks, we're really intensely going to meet. And then they don't think about the after. And so yeah. they don't kick people out. They still give them access to a community space, but they don't really like think intentionally about the experience design of what happens after that. And they're also usually not being yeah. compensated for that either. It's like, well, you went through the program, that's how we got our, our money. And now we're going to keep, we're going to retain access to the space, but we're not really incentivized to maintain it, improve it, make it great. And we're not going to give you any direction of how you engage now that this thing is over. And so it, it's two things. People will feel like, well, I don't know how to engage. And also they feel like I wasn't given a graceful exit or a graceful exit opportunity. I wasn't given the opportunity yeah. to say, okay, I experienced this transformation. I did what I, uh, I wanted to do. I should be able to celebrate and move on and, and walk away from this thing and choose what to do with my time elsewhere. But they have this just like zombie, you know, community space with no direction, no real management, no facilitation. And people are like, well, I don't know how to engage, but I do know these people that I met with through that mm. experience. So I guess I'll just keep talking with them. Yeah. So are you saying that by giving people a sort of a graceful exit event or sort of threshold that they can walk through, some might decide not to do that and therefore stay and be engaged in the community? For a time-bound experience that has a community component, I think that should be strictly time-bound. And if yeah. you want to continue to have a relationship with those people, that should be its own new experience that's designed to be ongoing with its own clear purpose, its own programming. Um, with, like yeah. if you have a cohort based course and you want to continue working with people, awesome, have a membership and tell people at the end of the course, Hey, it's awesome. You had accomplished this. This is great. If you want to continue to have support, we recommend you join this membership. Here's how you engage with that. Uh, and if not, it was great knowing you. It was great working with you. It was mm -hmm. great serving you and come back anytime. Yeah, I love that. Door number one, door number two, and let people choose. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several podcast movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. 
Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. So if they took, if door number one was, thank you, I've, had, I've got my fill and I'm done. Door number two is, I want to be part of this thing ongoing. Um, let's talk about the, so, so you mentioned like, you know, human connection. I think that's, that's, that is uh, at that threshold, one of the first things that happened. The other one, you mentioned sort of rules of engagements, how, how people will engage. What have you seen work in 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 different ways to come up with what those rules are because i imagine that's not top down either um i mean in the beginning it probably is like in the beginning as you're starting a space top down is important so that people know what to do like it's 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 called modeling you need to set expectations model the behavior so that other people can see what you're doing and then follow in that behavior. And then it becomes a, a self-governing, self-reinforcing situation. But somebody has to model in the beginning. And for the community builders, it's probably you. Um, and even in the beginning, like when you're when people are in the community and sharing and, and starting conversations for the first time, you need to model the behavior of responding generously and being supportive of those people before other community members do. So in the beginning, like you need to allot a lot of time for this modeling behavior. Um, so... In terms of rules of engagement, tying back to this purpose, this job to be done, this this way you can engage, like it might be that you say, hey, three times a week, we have an accountability call. It's live. We get on there. You express your intention and we work for an hour. And at the end, we talk about what we've done. And that could be like the starting point. This is what this community is doing for this group of people. We are giving this consistent structure and it's very clear how I engage with that. I show up to the calls. Now your job is just getting people to prioritize time to show up to the calls and do that. Um, it can be honestly that simple. And then you can take any variation of that mm-hmm. to say like once a week we get on a call and we talk about what we, what we uh, are seeing in the news that's really important to our industry. We have a discussion and then you know we post the recording in the community. We have an asynchronous discussion from that and we do it again next week. Like you need to have some sort yeah. of consistent thing. Rituals is a big word in the community space. But I think people yeah. take a really lazy approach to rituals most of the time. But they're like, hey, every Monday we post and say, what are your goals for the week? And in theory, that might be useful. But in practice, what happens with a lot of these like rituals where you make this recurring post asking people to answer it, you're just adding something to their yeah. to-do list that is in the right. service of engagement more so than it is in the service of that member's transformation. And it's, it's, right. it's lazy, it's ineffective, and it becomes like something they resent because it's like, I don't... I don't care. Like <laughs> answering yeah. this only takes time from me. It's not actually helping me achieve what yeah. I'm trying to do. So whatever your ritual yeah. is, it needs to be something people look forward to. And just asking people to answer a question is usually not that. Yeah. What is the best way to find out what your your community might look forward to? Try some things. 
Like, I, I think you should have a pretty good idea of something you can do. Like, even if it is like a weekly live call, a weekly live happy hour or morning coffee or accountability call or, you know, a uh, group discussion, a Q&A. Start with something like that. That feels pretty yeah. safe. But then you can try other formats, yeah. try things out. Um, for example, in, in the lab, my community, I started with doing weekly office hours. And over like a three-month period, attendance in those office hours started to dip a little bit. So I asked people, like, why, why aren't you coming to office hours anymore? And they told me that while they, they usually found value in going, it was basically a big question mark every time of, what are we going to talk about? What am I going to hear? What am I going to learn? If I don't have a question, is this even worth my time? And these are busy people. All people are busy people. So they, yeah. it was easy for them to deprioritize that because it was unknown what they were going to get out of it. Conversely, I started doing more of these hot seats where it was this one-on-one coaching call where from the beginning that members even schedule with me has to have a pretty clearly mm. defined challenge that they want to talk about. So now when I put that event up, people know exactly what we're going to talk about if they prioritize that time. Yeah. Same with the recording. Nobody's going to watch an hour-long office hours recording not knowing what was discussed unless you make great notes. Right. A lot of work. Right. But if you, if you yeah. post a, a hot seat where it's like this is one specific thing we're talking about, it's very, very clear. So I deprioritized yeah. office hours added more hot seats because of that feedback. But in the beginning, I told people, join this, we'll have weekly office hours, and that was good for people. And as that became less good, I just asked the community. Mm. Two, two great lessons. Experiment. Don't be afraid to experiment and ask people. See what, they are, what they're into. So and on that point, let's talk about... Um, sort of your community rock stars, right? There's inevitably a, a, a smaller group of people, one or two people that sort of are engaged in everything. They're showing up on everything. They're kind of answering other people's questions. They're, you know, the, the sort of poster child of the community. Um, how, okay, identifying them is, is easy. They, they're pretty self-identifier. What, what do you, what is your recommendation to, to do with those people? I haven't been asked this, so I'm thinking about it momentarily before I give too hot of a take. Awesome. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely responding kind of reflexively here. So, yes, a lot of the communities, these people spring up. Um, I, I try not to have that, to be honest. Um, and I haven't, I haven't explicitly realized that I try not to have this, but as I'm thinking about my community, I'm realizing that I have some behavior around this. Because the risk with community rock stars is that they become kind of a loudest voice in the room, steal all the oxygen type of thing where it almost creates like a lot of these people are feeding off of what they feel as an invisible hierarchy where they are like a next level member of this community. It's a status thing. Yeah. And if they are allowed to feel like this is a positive status thing for them, that implicitly means that other people feel that they are not that status. So I try to keep things pretty level. That being said, when anybody in my community does the behavior that I modeled for so long and does behavior that I want other communities to model after them, like responding quickly to other people's posts, being very helpful, being very thoughtful, taking time to get on a call with those people, I always, always, always publicly thank them for going above and beyond. And then I'll also send them a direct message and say like, hey, just wanted to say thank you so much for doing this. Because like yeah. you need people to know not only is that appreciated. I think a lot of people think, well, yeah, you want to show appreciation to people. 
but you also want them to know like that was okay. <laughs> like sometimes people will feel like, well, maybe yeah. it's not my place yeah. to answer something yeah, like this. Like maybe right. I overstepped. Maybe Jay should have stepped in here and given his opinion before I stepped in, or yeah. maybe one of these community rock stars should have weighed in on this. I, they know so much more than I do. Yeah. So it's like showing that this behavior is okay and not only okay, but also appreciated. That's what I typically try to do. Yeah. But uh, sometimes like community rock stars are just, and, and, and when I experience this, I'm just like, dude, relax, chill too much, <laughs> too much. So I will actually do the opposite yeah. where like if somebody yeah. is like really going ham and posting a ton, they're like a disproportionate number of new topics. I will not give mm-hmm. their posts the attention that I give other people mm-hmm. so that their feedback is like, maybe this post in particular wasn't appropriate for this space. You know, it's as a community grows, yeah. it's really, it's really common to see some people think this would be a great place for me to share my stuff, <laughs> you know, and in yeah. small doses, you yeah. want that. Like we, we have, we have a, <laughs> we have a space in our community called uh, show your work where I do want people to share work. They're really proud of. We're all creators. We have 150 creators in there. Most of us are publishing something on a weekly basis, if not daily. If people use that space to mm. publish every little thing they made, it would become a nightmare. So I really try to yeah. impress on people like this is for things that you're especially proud of and that you think we can learn something from. Not because the content itself is good, but because of the process of making it or some way that you did it differently. And when people begin to abuse yeah. that, I try to remove positive feedback from that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to spend too long on this, but it's, it does bring back a lot of memories of running that 150-person community that I did for eight weeks. And one or two people were, you know, and so there are a lot of benefits to having these rock stars because they are like, you know, but somewhat of a pulse of the community. But there is a danger that they can start to sway opinion on things to their their own interest, right? Not even benefit, just... And, and I, I think I, I definitely saw that. And I, I found one thing is also just having a conversation with yeah. them to be like, hey, you know, what's going on here? Because sometimes there's a benefit. If you've got that back channel, uh, you can actually learn a lot about your community. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a, it's a good, helpful caution. Um, so let's talk about the other end of the spectrum, the laggards, the, the you know, people that have kind of ghosted the community that maybe feel like they're out of there. Um, these ones you don't often, they're not evident, right? So how do you identify these people and then what do you do to re-engage them? Well, depending on the platform that you use, sometimes a platform like very explicitly identifies these people for you where it's like these people are inactive. They haven't logged in for this period of time. And so in that case, I think intervention is appropriate. There's another segment of these people that uh, sometimes called lurkers where they are active, but they're not expressing their voice a lot. And to me, I'm all for that. I don't have any issue with that. To me, I don't measure the success of the communities I run or I work with and consult on in terms of, you know, quote unquote engagement. Because a lot of times people use engagement metrics as an excuse to do behavior that benefits engagement metrics but doesn't make the user experience better. Uh, Like these rituals where you're asking Mm. questions and getting people to comment. Great way to drive up posts, great way to drive up comments makes your engagement look great. Is that making your community healthier or happier? Probably not. The truest you know, metric for me in a paid community, and not all communities are paid community, but in a paid membership, the truest mm. metric is retention. How well do you retain your members over mm. time? Um, 
that's like a real look at are people finding the value they expected? Because when they traded their money for access to the space, they expected the value would exceed the value of that money. Um, and if that is no longer yeah. true, that means that you are not doing something super well. Um, so lurkers, I'm okay with. People who are disengaged, I would try to uh, intervene with and just reach out to them. Um, the hard thing is mm-hmm. like, probably can't reach out to them through the community because they're probably not paying attention, you know? So you have to go out of your way to send them an email or send them some sort of note. Um, there's a guy named Dave Bates that I worked with briefly and he had, he had a line that gets stuck in my head all the time, which is a community misses you when you're gone. So if you're gone and you don't feel like Mm -hmm. you are missed, you don't feel like you're a part of that community. So that's Mm -hmm. probably, you know, reinforcing why you're not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also saw firsthand the, the benefit of kind of reaching out to people outside of the uh, <laughs> the inevitable dog uh, in, interruption. Um, reaching out, reaching to people outside of the the sort of common platform, and just sometimes just people um, the response to that was just like, "Wow, yeah. you know, you actually you thought about me, you cared about me." Um, do you? So real quick on that, as kind of a related point, um, do you do? Do you have sort of predefined milestones and check-ins for members, like you, that you can sort of see how they? I doing? think it's smart to have those. Um, I personally don't have those, mm. um, mostly because okay. it's a difficult thing to implement and measure well. Um, if you don't have yeah. some sort of pretty intelligent. Uh, automations that basically run these checks on some period of time, it's difficult to have those checkpoints. So I do keep an eye on inactive members and try to do some intervention. Uh, that being said, like there's only so far I will go to try and re-engage inactive members, uh, especially in a uh, paid community space, because there are a lot of people who are yeah. paying to be there who are finding value, who are asking for my help. I'm going to invest my time in those people. Um, so there's only right. so far I will go on that side of things. Like you will have churn. There will be churn. That is okay. And sometimes it's actually very healthy, you know? Uh, mm. so I don't mind churn at all. If I can get feedback from people before the opportunity for churn to understand like that, they are not finding value. I want to understand why not, what is the misalignment between their expectations and what they have experienced. And how can I solve that? Yeah. If not for them, for future people who may have the same expectations. And it's easier to ask that feedback before people churn. And often by doing that, you will reduce churn. So um, now to answer your question more briefly, I do not have those milestones, but I think it is a smart thing to implement if you have the yeah. capacity. Yeah, I, and I think also having a, um, well, a successful community is a community of people who want to be there, right? Not necessarily the total addressable market. And and that's why I think what you're doing, limiting it to 200, is so good because you you've built in that churn. There are going to yep. some people leave, and the people that come in eventually, you want ideally get to that 200 of fully yeah. engaged people. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think it will have a really good um, impact on retention because when we hit yeah. that 200 member cap, people can churn, of course, and then we'll fill that spot. Um, but there's going to be, you know, the, the supply and demand shifts quite a bit where there's going to be much more demand than supply. So if you do churn, you had a spot, you churn out. If you decide later you want to join again, it's going to be challenging. So, uh, I, th- I yeah. think that will be good. Now, what you might see is a bunch of people just like squatting on that membership and not actually doing anything with it. That would be a bummer. Mm-hmm. And so one mm-hmm. thing that I've thought about 
is actively buying people out of their memberships. Like if if they if they Ooh. are inactive and there is a wait list of people who want to join, I might look at okay, how much time is left on your membership? Prorate it, offer a buyout of some amount, and then have yeah. someone else join yeah. and kick them out. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's better for the yeah. ecosystem. Yeah. It reminds me of my business coach of mine's advice around firing clients as well. It's like you've only got a finite amount of clients you can serve in a year and you should be getting rid of your, your bottom one or two and, and getting better ones. And eventually that whole portfolio is, is, is better for, yeah, for everyone. Um, yeah. So, okay. So it, two more quick things. Um, actually, one might be quick. One might be um, a, a good way, I think, natural way to end. So I wanna, you mentioned this briefly. You talked about spaces, like you had to show your workspace. Um, one of the in my research around communities, uh, and you talked, and you also said this right again as well. Shared interest, like having, um, uh, giving the community members in a, a way to kind of form their own spaces within a community around shared interests. Now, the shared your work one is is you know that was more like your idea, but so I, I want to introduce both where like community are empowered to create their own little subgroup that are interested in like you know I don't know fiction novels or whatever and. Um, and then you also, you have these other different spaces. So can you just talk about that and like having like little almost subgroups within the main This group? is where it's really important not to be top down, in my opinion. Uh, because the yeah. advice I give to most people starting their communities is exercise as, most, as, as much restraint as possible to have as few different spaces or channels as possible. Because optically... Yeah. It's a lot less overwhelming when people join. There are fewer spaces. It feels more active. Uh, if people join, there's a ton of spaces. It's overwhelming. They say, oh, I'll come back and figure this out later, and then they never come back. So it's, it's good to be have a lot of restraint. Uh, when you do want to have these interest groups, I think they should evolve organically from requests from the community. And when the community requests them, you should try to anoint that requester or requesters to have some level of oversight and incentive to mm. to govern that space um, because a lot of people say hey i want this but they actually wouldn't do any of the work required to make that a thriving space yeah and so now you just have a bunch yeah. a bunch of quiet empty spaces that make the space the, the entire community look more overwhelming right so it, i think it's a good idea but you this is where you really want to have it evolve naturally from the community and and really try to get some support from somebody who's interested in in having uh some oversight there yeah that is a excellent piece of advice i think that sort of completes the the picture in my mind as well because i think these are healthy but such a good idea to 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 really almost make it a precondition to say okay great you know but then you you have this you know and even like even make it a job description like sort of this is what i expect of it of of someone who's doing this um yeah that's super smart um, all right, so let's let's kind of bring this to an end by talking about when and if communities come to an end, and what what does that look like? What are the signs that this is happening? Um, you know, when should you think about evolution or termination? What's your experience been there? In my experience, the best communities almost have like a heartbeat. That if you're truly involved and engaged in in this thing being successful, you can just feel it. And so to me, if you're not engaged enough to feel that, then this product or experience probably isn't for you because like the community understands your commitment 
and your team's commitment. And if it isn't there, if it's, if it's lip service, like it's not going to be a great experience for them. They might come and ask like support level questions, but they're probably not going to want to hang out there. So if you don't have that energy, maybe you shouldn't start. And if you don't have that energy and you've already started, maybe you should let it go. If you do have that energy and you're feeling that the, the heartbeat is slowing down, the enthusiasm is slowing down, you can either try to intervene and correct course, or again, this is, a, this is an opportunity to kind of wind it down. Um, this is, this is yep. a huge investment of effort and time and like empathy on the part of you and your team. And if you aren't willing to put that into it, then you should let it go. And typically when I see communities die, it's because somebody's lying to themselves about the level of care they actually have for this thing. Um, and maybe it should die. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen time-bound communities or they are they generally always... I have seen with- time-bound communities, but usually it's oriented around like a very specific uh, experience you know, like all, all these yeah. things like blend and become one thing, you know, like a cohort based course. Is that a course or is that a time bound community? Yeah. Great question. All right. Um, so yeah, that, that's right. typically the way that I see it where it's like pretty self-directed. I don't see like, Hey, for th- for three months, come in and meet other educators and it's pretty aimless. Otherwise I don't see that. Yeah. But if there is like good yeah. direction towards an experience and there is some, very strong uh, curriculum or guidance or structure, then yeah, I see that pretty frequently. Yeah, and I think that just ties it nicely back to where we started around the job to be done, right? And that's what really what you're looking for. Some people may have that job done right away in the first few months of this, and and others may yeah. may take a lot longer. So. Um. Yeah. Well, Jay, that was a banging episode. There was actually a lot of like inside density uh, in that. So I'm, I'm, I've got a I've got a challenge ahead of me to summarize this. Um, I I want to give you the the last word here. So where should folks go? I want to ask just sort of double barreled here. Um, best community resources you've got out there, and then I know a lot of people want to know more about you. Where should they go? For uh, you can find me at Jay Claus anywhere. I'm very easy to find, and any way you reach out to me, I see it. Uh, so feel free to reach out, reach out if you want. I do do some one-off consulting on this at an like advisory level. So feel free to reach out to me if that's interesting to you. Um, the best awesome. way to learn community from me, I do have a couple of workshops, which you can find at creatorscience.com. Uh, I'm building a course called Build a Beloved Membership. That's open for pre-sale right now uh, at belovedmembership.com. Nice. Um, but the best way to experience like my insight is just to join the lab if there's still space by the time you're listening to this. Uh, and members of the lab get that course yeah. for free also. So that's interesting to you. Feel free. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Learn learn from the best by just uh, by osmosis. Jay, thank you so much for spending this time with me. That was a blast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listen. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.